Hello and welcome to episode 260 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. And I am Kevin. And we are calling this episode United We Pokemon. And not just because we're talking about Pokemon Unite, which hit Switch, what, last week? And has, um... It's taken over, well, at least your gaming life a little, right, Angel? Like, you've been putting a ton of time into it. Uh, I wouldn't say a ton of time, and I wouldn't say take over, but I have been putting <laughs> some time into it, and it's been a nice addition to the other games I play. Okay, I made you sound like you were crazed, <laughs> and you made yourself sound like you are just a reasonable adult, so great. But yeah, we have um, we have Pokemon Unite Impressions we'll be talking about. Um, it, it turns out, like, the title kind of works on two levels. Though. Like, anyone that listens to random Nintendo knows we're already running with this title before we even have the whole show, but... There's Pokemon through lines like throughout this thing. It, it's in what we're playing. It's in the news with uh, reports of a Netflix show and the surprise new Pokemon Snap update. It's it's really everywhere this episode. Um, but we're doing non-Pokemon things too. Uh, there's some other game updates, the latest Switch Online games. I know, Angel, you've been checking out. And uh, we're going to have what's hopefully a fun segment where we're going to look back at some games we always wanted to play but for whatever reason never did. So, uh, timestamps are on ramtown.com, uh, in this episode's corresponding blog post, or if you're on YouTube under the video. But, uh, to kick it off, let's just go right into the episode's namesake with impressions of Pokemon Unite. Or, wow. um, really, Angel, if, if you want to take the lead, what are your impressions of Pokemon Unite? Because you've definitely put more time into it than me and Kevin. I don't think you've played it. Yeah? I haven't put a single second into playing Pokemon Unite. Oh, there we go. So, United, we do not Pokemon in reality. No. Because only two thirds have. So this title is a misnomer, but yeah, Angel, are you sure? We were talking about Genshin Impact. Oh, we'd be we'd be here all day. <laughs> how, I would, uh, Kevin. How if you had to guesstimate how many hours do you think you put in a week to Genshin at this point? Because I know it's like uh, ebbed and flowed. I have every day I put in at least two hours, at a minimum. Two wow. Hours. Okay. Some days I go even longer with like four hours each day, every day. Wow. That's that is dedication. That's I think those are my average hours on Twitter every day, which yeah, I don't know if that speaks higher this. of you or higher of me. But either way, we both have a, a problem. Yeah, then I'm absolutely screwed if it finally comes out on Switch. Like that's probably going to be my entire life. I wonder what happened to that because it was announced right at the start with the other with versions. Anymore. What was that? I don't even have fun with this game anymore. It's just like <laughs> a part of my life that I do every day now. So it's literally routine. Yeah, pretty much at this point. Huh. But Pokemon Unite. Yeah. Yeah. Angel, how do, how are you? I mean, obviously you're putting in a reasonable amount of time that's balanced with your other games, and it's not taking over your life, apparently. Yeah, I don't think I've but, played all too much. I mean, if anything, you've probably actually put more time into it than me. That's literally impossible, because I've only played it once with you, and you've played it more <laughs> more than that. I mean, I'm like, what? I think I'm at level 13 now? Yeah, I'm level um, like 5, so you are definitely further ahead. I don't know how long i played, but yeah, this is... Did we, did we already call the baby's first MOBA? But, um, Not on air. Here or, uh, well, I mean, it's definitely my first MOBA, and as I'm sure it was also Jason, so... Correct. I have... Well, I haven't, like, ever actively p- played a MOBA. I did, like, mess with one once, just, like... I think someone just had, like, their league game, and they're like, oh, let me try a round. I think it was... um, They had, like... There was, like, some Rick and Morty thing going on. There's, like, an announcer. Maybe it was Dota. One of those... One of them has, like, a Rick and Morty... Tiny. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Dota. Uh, well, yeah, th- that, that was pretty funny. I don't know why, Angel, but the framing of that, like, I've never really played a MOBA, but, like, I messed around with one. It sounds like, oh, yeah, we, we were, you know, we just, like, hooked up one night. Like, it was just me and that MOBA <laughs> for one night only. <laughs> one night stand with the yeah. Rick and Morty and a MOBA. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially like, the reason I never really 
try giving it more of a shot because like the closest thing I guess to a MOBA that I've played is like StarCraft and the only reason I say that is just because of the the way these games are typically controlled at least on PC like it's just like a ton of clicking you pretty much click your character goes there in their very casual slow pace and once you've played enough the speed of the characters like that ends up just kind of going away just because you I don't know you're just used to characters moving much much faster in like your typical multiplayer games like it just feels like once you approach another character you're like oh you're either dead or you're gonna take a lot of hits because you you don't have the mobility to dodge unless you know there are some exceptions which I can get into later. But that is hundred percent. Just to, really quick, that is the first thing I said to you when we were playing was like, why is it so slow? Like it's not like something you can just gloss over if you've never played a mobile. You will notice it. You will get used to it. But it it uh, everyone's probably gonna have that experience that it just feels slow. Yeah, and then later, like once you start playing more games like this, like I mentioned, like StarCraft, it's kind of like that. When I just like messed around with League of Legends, just like moving around. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't really like the movement. I don't really like how the attacking feels. Like, it just felt like, you know, there's no real, like, recoil or anything sometimes. You're just kind of, like, shooting there's out like, the attack. Uh, like, heavy. There's no weight to it, maybe. That's what you feel? Yeah, there's, it's, yeah. there's no physics <laughs> at all. Never mind weight. There's yeah, just, like... Pretty much, yeah. It, it, yeah, it feels like the attacks are missing, like, an oomph. It just feels like they kind of happen. They're just animations but, um, on top of other animations. And you're like, oh, I guess this is supposed to be something. But then eventually, like... I mean, especially because of this one. Like, now that I've actually been playing a lot of um, Pokemon Unite... Yes, I like that, actually. Ah, you admit it! Yeah, like... um, Yeah, once I start playing it more and more and more, you start to understand and kind of get why it is that way. And you're like, oh... Like, it's all... I don't know, like, it has to be this way. Because you do have some moves that do actually have the oomph. Like, usually the, the biggest offender to the... Having no impact when you attack is, like, your basic attack. Because it just kind of comes out automatically. Your character doesn't really even react to them using it sometimes. It just, like, I get like a little whirlwind that just comes out of Cramorant, which is who I use a lot. The blue, derpy looking bird. But it's all about strategy and teamwork. And every Pokemon has, like, two special moves that you could level up over time, kind of like other MOBAs. Essentially, um, you have one big arena that, presumably, at least, like, from what I've talked to with other people, we're most likely not going to get another arena. Like, it's just the... Uh, some of the Pokemon will obviously change in the arena. Like, I'm guessing eventually Zapdos will turn into Articuno or Moltres. But essentially, you start as your weakest form. Everyone always starts, like, at level 1. And as you defeat Pokemon or other enemies along your path, you start gaining experience, you gain points, and you can use those points to score points in your opponent's, I guess, baskets, which there are quite a few of there's three six there's like seven of them or maybe oh no there's five there's five and essentially the matches goes on for 10 minutes there is no reach a certain point and then the game ends and because of that you also have a mercy well not a mercy system but you can surrender if you choose to um someone could call the vote and if the team agrees then yeah you could just end the game early because sometimes you just know there's no chance of winning like there are some points where it's pretty clear the Point of contention that a lot of my friends that are seasoned MOBA vets say is that they don't like the fact that there is no indication of what your score is at any point except for sure there like is. the announcer kitchen going. <laughs> You're really struggling. Sure yeah. 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 I was going to say, like, like, there's no indication of your score except for an announcer occasionally going, You're in the lead. 
you have a huge leader, you're really struggling or you're struggling to catch up. Which tells you nothing. Game. So, there, so there's no, like, at the top there's of no, the screen, there's nope. nothing that says you have 81 points versus their exactly, 70 yeah. points. Nope. It's oh, just the that's game, a nightmare. Yeah, the game just casually is like, hey, you're sucking right now. Do something about it. And you're like, but to what degree? Like, what do I have to do? Doesn't matter. You're yeah, sucking. Yeah, yeah, and ultimately, like, you kind of learn to ignore those because I've played plenty of games where we've had a huge lead and we end up losing at the end or we're really struggling to keep up and we end up winning by a lot in the end. Like, I would almost just rather have the point up there, but the point's up there, but some people were saying that, oh, you know, an argument can be made that, like, oh, maybe it's so people surrender a lot less or give up. Yeah, just don't give up as often, like, so early. Because, you know, if you're losing by a huge margin, many new players or people that don't, you know, play this game as much or, I guess, uh, MOBAs as much, might not realize that you could come back from almost anything. So, you know, you might just get up, you just might get players just rage quitting, like, maybe three minutes in. Mm -hmm. And then you're just down a player the whole game, which has happened a lot. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been in random games where... One of our players just gave up because they just kept getting destroyed because, you know, they just kind of kept running in by themselves. And then you just see them idling there at the spawn point for, like, the whole 10 minutes. And, you know, we end up losing. And it's not like you can just quit the game. I've actually tried once just to test it out. And I exited to the Switch menu. Then I went back into Pokemon Unite. And it just loaded me back into the game. Like, it doesn't let me do anything <laughs> else until the match is over. So unless I just completely leave and just don't even play at all like it's gonna put you back in which is cool i mean i like that at least they made it so that i didn't get any penalties because they do at least penalize you for completely abandoning a game but if you know if you're just idling the person could just be like oh screw this game and they just like leave their switch there while they go do something else then that just sucks for the other four people i which is why you definitely want to play at you know with like four other people like uh you know, an actual squad of your friends is definitely going to make this game much, much more enjoyable. I mean, even for as much as I am enjoying it, I can tell you that if it wasn't for the pretty consistent group of people, like I have a lot of coworkers that are playing it, so I always have enough to make a group of five with them. I have a lot of friends that are outside of work that are also playing it, so I could easily make a group with them. Like, there's no shortage of that. But when I do play on my own, at least now that I've gotten more of the hang of it, and I know, like, all right, I know exactly how to play Cramorant. I know to stay a certain distance away. I know to, like, always pair up with, like, the the Slowbro or the Snorlax and stay behind them and just assist them and blah, blah, blah. But it's not as fun when you're, I don't know, when you're not playing with someone else. I mean, victory, sure, they're always okay, but the losses feel worse when you're not playing with friends and the wins don't feel as great. So, you know, your mileage may vary. I, I am right there friends. with you on that. One, this is one of the few games I think I may only enjoy with friends. Like, I too, you know, we played together and I tried low on my own. And it does, for people who do want to try it solo, have, like, quick chat commands for picking which, like, lane you go in. Because that's very crucial to the strategy is, you know, you need to make sure you have all three lanes kind of covered in different, or have different people in different places uh, to guard different bases. And, yeah, even with those quick commands, like, I just don't, have an interest in not having constant communication with the team. Like, it makes a difference. And there's only multiplayer in Unite. So this is probably one of the few games I will only play with friends. Very much like... I guess Killer Queen Black kind of falls in the same category um, of, like, a game that really is best yeah. with friends. Although, actually, sure. even um, even in how you're taking points to baskets and how there's multiple, like, 
levels. All, now that I think about it, is Killer Queen Black like a Joust MOBA in reality? If you think about it, it's kind of similar. It's just top. It's, yeah. yeah, it's huh. D- different objective. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of games like this. Like another one that is very similar is um, in PS3. There was a game called Awesome Knots. That is another like platform or MOBA. But that one is definitely more on the MOBA side because you know Killer Queen Black. Everyone is the exact same character. Right. It's like there is no random factor whatsoever. Not that there is a random factor in Pokemon Unite, it, but I mean the only random factor would be that. They could be your opponents could be any Pokemon. As can your teammates, which is why it's important you work with real friends. Because yeah. you might end up with exactly. three of the same Pokemon that all do basically the same thing. Because there's the whole like you be offense, defense, heavy, light, range, up close. I learned the term jungle, and I'm proud of myself for knowing what that is now. You know that's a thing. So yeah, and, and you know, like I mentioned, like losing with your friends, like just doesn't feel as bad. Like I don't know, you, you end up enjoying the moment more than just like you know getting competitive with it, or maybe that's just because. It's not a game that I'm like, oh, uh, this is going to be my next Smash Brothers. Like, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm enjoying my time with it. I do enjoy it at least enough to play on my own once in a while. And I do like that the games are like locked on a 10 minute timer so they don't take that long. And, you know, I could do like, oh, I have enough time for like two games. I do the two and then that's it. I just stop. Um, what I do really appreciate about the game is how, how essentially you could get the full experience and never have to pay anything. You could, I mean, if one of the Pokemon you really like just happens to be one of the ones available, and they do rotate out which ones you can play as, as far as the ones that you don't have fully unlocked, like, you can, yeah, you never have to, like, pay anything. Like, I mean, mainly the the monetization is for, cos- mainly cosmetics. That's, like, probably, like, the biggest thing. The only other thing that may help is just, you know, unlocking other Pokemon faster, which they do give you a ton of on the rewards track. Like, by two weeks from now, I will have, I think, about half of the roster that's currently available without ever having to buy any of them. But because of how much I've played the game already, um, I wanted to support it a little just to hopefully, you know, they just keep adding more stuff and more Pokemon. So I was able to get myself Cramorant early just because that one wasn't on the reward track. Like, I like Cinderace, I like Greninja, but I get them for free just by playing the game normally, so not going to get those and i guess the only other benefit to just playing a lot i guess this is where it's not so much pay to win but there is i guess time time invested to win and i don't mean in the oh the more you play the more experience you get which makes you a better player yes that's like true of any game but in this game pokemon just like in their traditional form which is really awesome they have held items and you also have battle items and uh, let me just say real quick the how moves like converted or transferred over to a mobile fashion from Pokemon is really like fun to see. Like my brother and I were just having a great time, just like looking at oh look, Cramer has Hurricane. I wonder if it also lowers special defense, just like in the game. Like oh, it does. Oh, there's Shadow Ball. There's like you know everything carried over. Like they, it's almost like a one-to-one fly. You know that Pokemon move where the Pokemon goes up, is immune for a bit, and then comes flying down. Like that transferred over perfectly. Like it's almost makes you wonder why we didn't get something like this sooner. It's almost like Pokemon was made perfectly for a MOBA setting. Not to mention the fact they evolve over time. And I don't know. It's cool. Really liking that. I already forgot my own train of thought because I interrupted myself with this. But You're talking about um, how it wasn't pay to win? Oh, that's right. So 
the more experience you get, the more of these like tokens you get. You know, as you level up, you get a specific kind of currency, and then there are these held items. And these held items, like I like for example, my cramorant, the bird. Um, I give him the wise glasses because that increases his special attack. Do you think that'd be like, all right, cool? I give him the glasses. It's just like a ten percent boost, and that's it. But it's like, no, it's not just that. Like. Cramorants, essentially, you would say you need to give them the glasses as a staple, but you can also upgrade the glasses themselves. So if you put enough time into it or just purchase, like, that, the type of currency that will get you those coins to upgrade the web, the items, you can max out those glasses and then Cramorant's going to be dealing a ton of damage. And it's really clear sometimes when you're playing against some people and sometimes, like, the same, against the same Pokemon, and you're like, whoa, like, we're landing the same blows, but, like, they, completely evaporated my health bar like nothing and like they're like maybe like halfway done so you know that's just like one thing that you're gonna have to deal with luckily really good teamwork will still trump that like if you are cautious and you work together to you know trap or surprise someone or just have each other's back then that won't be as gratuitous but you know it's still something that's there just to keep in mind if you ever wonder like oh i'm not doing anything wrong but i'm still getting blown up by like really strong attacks I so when when I saw like some of the videos and some of the articles when people are asking if it's pay to win, a lot of places would just go with the black and white yes or no. Uh, the more that I read into it, it it sort of sounds like a it can be mm-hmm. because let's say Angel, you and your 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 teams that that play together, you guys can all easily just buy the upgrades for those items, and then yeah, it does become play to win. Uh, but then mm-hmm. again, like you said, it, considering that it's a team game, there is still that chance that you guys just suck on a skill level and still get creamed. So it's not exactly. like a game where 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 you're getting like an awesome staff that is just going to obliterate no matter whatever your skill level is. So there there yeah. is this is more like an edge, win, if anything, yeah. And, an edge that still like might not even be useful at the end of the day. And you, and yeah, and the, the thing that's going to be interesting is down the line what like how much time will you need to invest if you want to get to that same edge because there's like yeah the, the, the five monetization schemes in this game honestly because there's the cosmetics there's the for both your trainer and your pokemon there's the battle pass there's a gotcha pull system there's the ability to outright purchase characters there's the stat boosting items that you can i'm sorry there's a there's a gotcha pull i believe system? there's a what? there's a way to get random new pokemon if you don't want to buy yeah. a oh, God. there's literally five monetization schemes here uh, like there's the stat boosting items that Angel was talking about. Like there, there's five different, and the stat boosting ones, if I remember correctly, you, you buy them with tickets, which you buy with gems, which you either buy with real money or time. So it's like three levels deep of monetization, you know, of uh, currencies. So it, it right now it but sounds right now, like it's manageable, but I wonder, especially a game that's partially aimed at kids, like is this a lot? Like in a few months, in half a year, when this game's still trucking along, because it does seem to have a big audience, like. What's that going to look like? Like, how much money are people going to be pouring into this thing or feel they need to? I will say that the more the more currencies there are, the harder it is to keep up with everything. As a uh, former Destiny player, that game had, like, 20 currencies. <laughs> and it just becomes way too much to track. Yeah, honestly, the, in, it already is too much. Like, the menu system in this game is so convoluted. It also runs at, like, 5 frames per second, which is really bizarre. Like, the menus are so, like, laggy and weird. But, like, not to put on my tinfoil hat here, but I I got to imagine the menus are kind of convoluted specifically the same way the currencies are, which is 
to get people to just say, oh, I don't understand what's going on. I'm just going to buy the thing that gets me the thing and move on. Because you have to dig like four layers deep just to get all the free stuff you unlock through challenges and stuff like that right now in like three separate places. And I just feel like they're like, yeah, if you really want to put in the effort, if you want to do an angel thing and like actually, you know, like form a team and play and put some time in, you can figure this all out and you could play for free and it's great. But if you're just kind of like casually dropping in and out or if you're a kid that doesn't want to like learn the nuances or whatever, you're just going to throw money at it. And that's ultimately what they want, you know? So it's it's a weird – I mean some of the menus are good to be fair. Um, they have custom controls, which Andrew, I don't know if you used them. But I'm once I discovered this, I switched all the attacks for some reason are on the oh, right yeah, that... shoulder buttons, ZR and R. I switched it to ZR and ZL so it actually feels more like balanced in my hand. I'm not like leaning on the right side of the controller entirely. You can also oh, yeah, turn that's off – like the first thing you do. Yeah. And you can also I, turn I off auto-aim assist, which I recommend because auto-aim would keep lurching I... me at opponents and that helped me not yeah. do that. But anyway, sorry. The, the biggest one I would recommend is, like, at the very least, just swapping R and ZR to their opposites. Just make R, ZR, and ZR, R. Just because of UI in the game, for whatever reason, um, backwards. ZR, yeah, like, has it on the top, and then R is on the bottom. So when it tells you, like, your R move is ready, it's on the bottom, and naturally you just press ZR, you know, the bottom trigger or the bumper. Yeah, I think they and, mapped yeah, it kind of how, if you look top down at the controller, it would look, but that's not how you hold it. So it's like they took one – you know, there's two ways you can do that. They took the one that's less intuitive, but they're both like right, you know, depending on how you look at yeah, it. Yeah, but, but, but they give you the option. Yeah, which is, which is great. great. But yeah, that and, and that's like seven menus deep to find. So like I said, the menus yeah, suck. And even on the and even on the item upgrade side, like it actually doesn't take that much to fully upgrade an item. Like there is a cap. Like you, you just get them to level 20. And I almost have my glasses at level 20. They're like at level 18 or something. So – if anything, like in a few months, like everyone is just going to have maxed out glasses, at which point it's like it just negates it. It's just like, oh, it's like you might as well not have the glasses. Well, everyone that's you know, put like in on the way. ground floor, but if you're coming into the game four months from now. Oh, no. Well, well that's the thing yeah. because like I've, I've been playing a lot of ranked mode. So like presumably if I just keep ranking up the way I have been, I am going to reach a point where, you know, you, you just have to go in expecting everyone is going to have like. If all their items maxed out, people will know their stuff. It's just like Pokemon, um, normal Pokemon. Like when you reach a certain like online ranking, you can tell just like by the move they're using and other things that like, oh yeah, they have perfect IVs. Like you just have to assume every Pokemon has perfect IVs at some point. Yeah, I guess. Like it's no longer like, a, oh, I'm special because I worked hard to get this Pokemon stats maxed out. It's like no, everyone has perfect stats. It just comes down to the strategy at that point, which is what I can't wait to get to because right now, yeah, everything is still like all over the place, but yeah, so it definitely will get better. That, that's an mode. interesting. Play, yeah, the... that's actually an interesting perspective, Angel. Because when you think about pay to win in general, it's always like, oh, people are like cheating to get to the same points. You they don't have the skills; they just paid their way there, and now you're playing with people that maybe aren't good, and you know you put in this time and they didn't, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, if you make it analogous to people that kind of hack their Pokemon to do perfect IVs just for battling, it's actually kind of one to one. It's you know, it's not a matter of how they. Got yeah, there, and, which is, is very different than a lot of free, games. Like, free to plays approach. Because this one and like especially brawl stars, like there is a point where like oh man, they have a level nine brawler that has like way better stats than mine, so it's gonna like blow me up. But at the ranking that I'm at, like when I play other brawlers, like we all have level ten brawlers. Like everyone's brawlers are level ten, so there's no more. The pay to win aspect is completely out the door at that point, and which is cool. Like it's, I like that this game does have that. I guess point I guess like once you get a perfected out 
statted Pokemon, then with the items, I guess, that's the only thing you can really modify. Then, yeah, then at that point, you're just, it just comes down to how you play the Pokemon. But, yeah, I mean, worth trying. It, it's free, so you maybe have that. It's funny the, the, the difference in mindset here, because you're basically looking at it as, and this is just the difference in how we play games, I think, but or our experience with end games, but you're basically looking at it as like, all right, well, once you get to the end game, here's how it shakes out and here's what it can mean. And I was playing it, and I was just kind of like, and I agree it is worth trying, it is free. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is so approachable. Like, what a great way of, like, combining Pokemon and catering to that audience with this genre that, like, at least I haven't really dabbled in. Like, you know, you talked about the 10-minute time limit. I think that's super smart. Um, Even, you know, just knowing if you're... Because Dota or Dota... Yeah, Dota and League and stuff can go for a long time, right? Like, an hour, some matches. So, like, the fact that you just have a locked-in 10... That sounds right. It are, Yeah, it already just I makes it so much more yeah. accessible, right? And then, you know, you're mentioning things like how the moves are perfectly copied over from um from like regular pokemon and i think i think the ge- in general i feel like pokemon unite surprised me because going into it like it i mean i had like everyone had kind of that tepid reaction when they did the oh we have a big new pokemon game to announce they did that presentation and it's just this and you know like the some folks were kind of indifferent. I feel like we were indifferent collectively, and uh, and then others were like up, like outright upset or angry that you know the they taint Pokemon in this way. And yeah, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised both by how well it turned out, given you know all the concerns about being Tencent and the feeling of being a cheap cash in and the free to play monetization, and and you know it, it turned out okay. And I'm also surprised that like it resonated so quickly with people that like on day one, this game had like 200,000 concurrent viewers on Twitch. And I think for as much as we, you know, can attribute their attention. I mean, and they got bashed in that first announcement trailer, right? Yeah, so were, exactly. Like, people were like to like ratio yeah. was astronomical. Yeah. And then like, and now, now it's doing, and everyone I've talked to has been super good on. Yeah. That and I think so. like for, you know, as much as we can attribute the retention of players beyond that, cause everyone's super high in it to, you know, or even our own interest to um, how Unite maybe mm-hmm. is kind of this more accessible version of a traditional MOBA, um, and it, it's just pick up and play by comparison, and it like just clicked in the right way. Like, I don't think we can overlook the fact that they just integrated Pokemon really well, like as a brand and as what it represents, and like who the audience is, like what it includes in terms of the long term fans and the normal fans. Like back to the move thing you were saying, like I just feel like. Anyone that's a diehard Pokemon fan will appreciate those references and understand exactly what those mechanics mean when they start using those moves and they play out as you described. You know, it does this to your defense. It does this with this pause. It does this, that, next thing. And and even smaller things, like one that came to mind when playing Unite with you was, you know, about three quarters of the way through the match, you kind of reference this, but there's a Zapdos that shows up, right? And everyone on your team at that point wants to go. Oh, yeah, to, the game changer. Yeah, and they want to go to the middle of the map and fight it or strategize around, like, who will fight it because... This Zapdos, like you said, is a game changer. It can turn the tide of battle with its point value. It shows up right before they do this two-minute stretch where um, all your points are doubled when you put them in the base or whatever. Um, and, like, say what... Uh, the old family feud. Uh, yeah, exactly. Good old good old family feud. But um, say what you will about, like, if this Zapdos mechanic may relate to something in the MOBA genre or what, like, League or Dota 2 or whatever may do similarly. I really don't the know. Apparently is an identical thing to this. It, um, yeah, but you know you know what else it parallels extremely well? And this is going to sound silly, but hear me out. Raid battles? Yeah. Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Go's legendary raids. Because there you have a Pokemon or of Zapdos caliber, literally Zapdos sometimes, who spawns and your entire team, you know, you're either the red, yellow, or blue, your entire team has to work together to take it down 
And just like in Unite, you basically take it down by spamming it with your most powerful moves. And, you know, there's a massive set of Pokemon fans and subsequently potential players of Unite who, oddly enough for us diehards and longtime fans, their first real Pokemon was Pokemon Go. So heading into, you know, five years of Pokemon Go and then introducing Unite, like there's, I mean, there's a lot of people that that mechanic, which seems, you know, it's a, it's a normal MOBA thing, it's, it's whatever, but like that, that is something familiar and that will resonate. I mean, there was a report from Sensor Tower around the time of the fifth anniversary of Pokemon, so Star July, that Pokemon Go has made five billion, with a B, dollars, five billion dollars. The first half of 2021, it had stronger oh. performance than any other first half in the game's history, including the one coming out of its um, first year, you know, out of its launch. Like, that first coming out of its launch going to the first half of 2017, 2021 was 130% more money generated than that period when the game was in the zeitgeist at least much bigger, right? So for all those people bringing in all that money, even if a good chunk of them already knew Pokemon, that Zapdos mechanic, as simple as it is, it's a tie-in. It's a familiar thing in the same way that, you know, Hyrule Warriors putting the Sheikah Slate abilities in clicked for Zelda fans with Age of Calamity. Like, it's that same sort of thing, even though it's the most basic rudimentary thing. And I think that's just what they did so well with Unite, with moves like you were saying, with this, with, you know, even having at least one Pokemon from every generation in the mainline games. Although, now that I think about it, I'm not sure if Gen 2's in there. That's weird if Gen 2's not in there. But, um... But again, you know, it's about familiarity to some degree, and they made everything so accessible that you go in and you see, you know, there's your Gen 1 Pokemon, but if you... Is Apom Gen 2? Uh, oh, yeah, he is, but I guess not playable. Yeah. I guess there's no playable Gen yeah, 2. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a summer presentation. Like, I mean, Chatout's in it, which I'm super yeah. happy about, but I mean, he's just there in the in the shop. And Bidoof is not in it, so there's like some sort of weird, like, not a monkey's paw, but it's either, it has to be Bidoof or Chatot, apparently, and I got tons of Bidoof this year, so it's your turn to have Chatot, but, um... I mean, I'm guessing Chatot, I mean, like, the model is there, so I'm guessing Bidoof and Chatot will eventually, like, you know, replace the Apoms and your core fishes and, like, the little random fodder. Yeah, but even, like, among the playable characters, like... They brought in, you know, like if you came in with X and Y, they have like Talonflame for you. If you came in with Sun and Moon, like Alolan Ninetales, not just Ninetales, Alolan Ninetales, like, you know, Garchomp's there if you're a Diamond Pearl fan. Like they found a way to like, no matter where you came into Pokemon, no matter, no matter what your fandom was, even if you just like the movie Detective Pikachu, they like put emphasis on Mr. Mime, who pretty much got his moment in Detective Pikachu. Like they really, or, you know, Jigglypuff turning into Wigglytuff. She was big in the cartoon. Like they really did this clever thing of no matter how you come in, they're going to get you in with something you recognize, and they're going to have mechanics that mirror what you kind of know, and then they're just going to sort of slowly build on top of that with all the MOBA stuff. And it, it works. Like, it makes it very accessible. And, you know, the little nips and tucks, like, the 10-minute time limit just ensure that it will hold that audience because you're not going to get, like, really sucked into this game that never ends and be like, I don't have the time for this. Like, it's a really clever balancing act they're doing. And I think even the drumbeat of, like, new characters are coming out with, you know, like, I think when it launched, um, we had that launch ga- uh, gift of, uh, we called him Thundercat because we didn't remember his name. Do you remember his name? The Pokemon? It's, it's like Zazora, Zazura, something like that, right? Is Zariora. There we go. Something like that. But yeah, so like that, you know. Really weird to pronounce. And that, to the point of, like, getting in on the ground floor, that was a play to the real, like, current Pokemon diehards. I know all the Pokemon from everything, right? And then, like, Gardevoir was added the other day. That's kind of easing back to people who maybe experienced Pokemon a little older. And then they're teasing Blastoise, which is to get the early fans. So, like, they're really trying... It's a cynical view, perhaps, of how they're approaching Unite. But, like, 
they know what they're doing here. Like the the Pokemon company is very savvy, and it's kind of cool to see how they're able to sort of marry the basics of MOBA with like everything you know from Pokemon, no matter when you came in to Pokemon, and it's like twenty five years or whatever. So it, I just thought it was a really clever approach, and it kind of as a fan makes it more rewarding to play because you get all these little references as they're doing it, which is which is just you know it just adds to the experience. Um, well, so yeah, yeah. No matter how you like Pokemon, check out Unite, see if you like it. Um, yeah, not to force a transition or tangent here, but, you know, I just casually sort of said Pokemon Company is very savvy about this. I mean, they're, in general, just very savvy. Like, them and Netflix are supposedly now teaming up with a live to do a live-action Pokemon show together. Uh, like, they know what they're doing. Like, the Pokemon Company, I would say better than Nintendo, knows exactly how to work their IP in every possible way. And, you know, Netflix is already going crazy with game adaptations. You know, among the biggest of their shows is Likes of the Witcher, um... And Pokemon, you know, they know Detective Pikachu worked and they were able to kind of transition um, Pokemon into like a more passive media form that's live action, not just the cartoon. And so merging those together just kind of makes sense. Certainly more so than like that Frogger game show on Peacock. Did, did, you, did you guys see that? The Frogger game show? That's a real thing. Never heard it's, of that. They've only released a single still, but Damon Wayans Jr. I think is hosting it. Um, it seems kind of from the still and from the description, it seems kind of cut from a similar cloth like Legends of the Hidden Temple or Guts or like whatever that one game is where you had to like fit your body through a hole that was a certain shape and you had to make the shape with your body like the Tetris game where people like had to Tetris themselves. But um, Hole on the Wall? Yeah, that one. But yeah, this um, Hole on the Wall is very entertaining. It, it's This is basically that but it's Frogger so you just have to avoid cars on this big elaborate set. Fake cars, I would hope. But, um, yeah, so, like, that's kind of like, oh, that seems like kind of a weird, maybe it's entertaining, but it just seems like kind of a weird angle to take with a game. But, like, Pokemon Company doing, I don't know, live-action Pokemon show, that just kind of makes more sense to me. Um, For those listening who don't know about the show, so basically Variety first reported it's early in development. Um, All we currently know is it'll be live-action, like Detective Pikachu, and a guy named Joe Henderson is writing and exec producing it. You may or may not know that name, but he's the dude behind the show, Lucifer which uh, Netflix now runs, which is also kind of a weird roundabout way of bringing us full circle to the 90s where there's all the, like, Satan panic about Pokemon being demonic, and now the dude that writes Lucifer is doing a Pokemon show. So props to the crazy folks in the 90s who somehow foresaw that. Lucifer? No, I have not. Is it good? Mm, I, no, that's why I was asking. Oh. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, no, either, I've heard good things. People love yeah, that show. Yeah, it has a very yeah. dedicated following, enough so that when NBC canceled it, Netflix actually took it over completely. Yeah. Um... But yeah, in terms of the Pokemon show, no no details on plot or saying or anything. Um, and you never know, may nev- never lead the development phase. I mean, the Zelda series being the notorious example of that when Nintendo and Netflix were supposedly developing that, and then they pulled the plug after it got leaked. But again, Pokemon companies, I feel like, a little more savvy. So I'm assuming, you know, assuming development goes well, they're not going to pull the plug because someone reported it. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious to see what it may be like does that interest you guys a live action pokemon like serialized or maybe not serialized but show not just like a one-off detective pikachu it's not really i mean i already don't keep up with the current animated show well presumably so... they'd be catering to slightly different demos in a... no yeah. i know well yeah but i mean so essentially i'm not really looking out for like a pokemon themed show mm, i see i mean i am curious to see what it looks like I honestly can't even say I was really interested in Detective Pikachu outside of just the fact that it was a Pokemon property, but I mean, that's kind of where this is. Like, I'm just like, you know, I'll look at it. 
but I don't. I'm not expecting to. I guess get into it. I don't know. We'll see. I, I feel guess. like was Detective Pikachu before Kevin? That was before you were part of the podcast, right? What did you think of Detective Pikachu? I still have not seen. Really, Detective Pikachu. I'm so surprised. Huh. Yep. Well, uh, just never really caught my attention. And like Angel said, really the only thing that I would be interested in seeing is the Pokemon designs. But I've already seen those. Um, you know, whether it be little clips here and there, the trailers. Right. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I think. Okay, that's fair. Because like I, I really like Detective Pikachu, but it wasn't so much for the movie's content as it was for the world building. So like, as, if they do similar world building with this, like I don't think they're gonna recreate the anime with Ash or anything like that. They're gonna do something different. Um, I think it's best served if they do something different, so they don't have the weight of the other shows or whatever behind it. But yeah, I, I just hope the mythology do... series might be. cool. Yeah, actually, that could be kind of cool. Um, and there's so many different angles they could take. Like, there's so many spin-off games they could sort of just pluck from that, have, that don't have a lot of backstory. You could do something like Pokemon Rangers or, like, something about Pokemon photography, like Snap, or even, like, something like Unite. Like, there's just all these scenarios they can work with, opposed to just, like, the 10-year-old wants to be the very best there ever was. Um, so hopefully I do something like that. Why well, I think we may make or break it, in my opinion, um, is... You know, not just so much what scenario and story they do, but how the Pokemon are designed. Because if Pokemon Company can sort of apply the same motifs as Detective Pikachu, I think it could work. But I don't know where those rights lie. Like, it, Warner Brothers is not involved with this show, and they did have a hand in, obviously, Detective Pikachu, but I don't know to what extent. So if we get some weird thing where, like, the Pokemon are CG but still kind of cartoony, like how they did the Katy Perry um, music video with Pikachu the other week, month for the... 25th anniversary album and stuff like that like if it's that it's going to be weird if they can go for realism quote unquote even though when that first was a thing everyone was hesitant about it, I think that's the only way it's going to work now having seen how it worked in Detective Pikachu but I don't know time time will tell but but that's Pokemon Unite and, and then some but Angel you, you've been playing some other stuff too right I know Kevin you're in your Genshin world where you just dedicate your entire life to it it sounds like but Angel I know you've been uh, you you were, you went you dipped into the uh, Switch Online library with the new releases from this week didn't you yeah um, playing some games with some friends and we just decided to see what they added so we checked out Baseball Simulator 2000, 1000, whatever it's called. I think it's 3000 because it's from the real future, not the like fake 90s future of seven years and later. And then there was this other game. I don't remember what it was called, but it was like a puzzle game that kind of played like Bust a Move, but not quite. It was kind of interesting and it was surprisingly really fun. I did not expect to actually really enjoy that game. I wish I remembered its name, but here we are. But anyway... Um, yeah, so that game, if you do happen to find it, it's just a puzzle. Yeah, it, it looks like a fantasy puzzle game. That one is actually worth checking out. Um, the other three, though, that's my mission. I'm gonna tell you what it is. It's one of the. It's like one of the newer games. I, I think it came in the last batch or either two batches ago. But depending Super on how Nintendo many they Nintendo or Super NES. Nintendo. Okay. Yeah, I only check out the Super Nintendo. I don't even bother checking out the NES. Wow, so you missed the uh, special save version of Mario 3 that gives you, like, a different scenario than regular Mario 3? Oh, yeah. That's the point. But anyway. Like, yeah, I definitely missed that. I 100% missed that. <laughs> but, yeah, these three games, they're all not that great, which has kind of been the case <laughs> for a lot of the games. Like, Rain I feel like I've played... I feel like I've played um, each game... At least for at least thirty minutes with a friend, like every single real, game in the SNES library. Real quick, Magical Drop Two. 
Is that it? Yes, that has to be it. There we go. My Google skills are top notch today. Magical Drop Two, that one is cool. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the many of the games by Jaleco or Data East, like a lot of them are just not that fun. And a lot of it has to do with like their physics, like and well, many get into Klamath and Jelly Boy, but essentially Jelly Boy and Klamath have like the same problem but in opposite ways. And essentially like the way you play a platformer, I feel like physics shouldn't be something that you should be really messed with unless um I guess it serves the gameplay. And what I mean by that is just make it feel like Mario. Unless, for whatever reason, Super Mario Bros. 3 or Super Mario World, like, nailing that down, like, the way it feels to jump and, like, you know, go up and down is so difficult to get down that other companies just either never figured it out or just went out of the way to make it feel different and as a result made it feel worse. And, I don't know, maybe, and I know that kind of stuff probably takes a lot of work, but... Yeah, anyway, like, Jelly Boy, we'll start with that one. That game has really weird jumping physics. Like, you go... Normally, instead of feeling floaty, it feels... I don't know, it feels like you have a lot of weight in the beginning, and then you kind of shoot up towards, like, the middle of your jump. It's like you accelerate as you're jumping, and then you come down really fast. So, it... But because you, like, have a really slow, I guess, ascension as you start to jump... I don't know, it, it gives it this weird feeling of, like, being both floaty and heavy. And the way the levels are designed just doesn't really help it. Like, it feels like the jump should be, I guess, give you more horizontal motion, but it seems to favor vertical, which doesn't really seem to benefit you all that much. And, but I mean, other than that, I mean, it's little quirk is essentially that you get to get different powers based on, like, items you find, I guess. And you could turn into a hammer, which lets you break certain blocks. That's literally all it does, and then it runs out. You get a blimp. You get to turn into a blimp that lets you reach a higher platform that, again, doesn't seem like something that needed to be there. Like, something that could have just been accomplished with just, like, an extra jump. But, yeah, there's just uh, some little things like that where... It feels more like the game was just made for the sake of existing more than like they had like a really solid foundation. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, I mean, think about the era. Platformers in the 90s, these games, companies were just like, we need our own platformer. We need our that's own That's true. Mascot. I mean, look no further than the fact, yeah. then look at the sun, I mean, just look at the sunglasses. I mean, that screams like, oh, look at me, attitude. 90s, cool. I will say yeah. it's interesting that you're basically describing a poor man's Wario land. Because Wario, in one of them, transformed into different things with different abilities yeah, that could have easily just been extra very, jumps and stuff. It's actually a very good comparison. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, it's uh, everyone was clamoring for that sort of game in the 90s. Like, everyone. You know, I mean, like, honestly, I'm at the point where I'm not even expecting big guns on the service anymore, like on Switch Online. I've reached a point where I just want to see how many of these, like, oddball platformer, like, mascot attempts they can come out. Like, where's Arrow the Acrobat, for example? Like, I want that level of, if they're going deep into, like, the annals of the, of the Super Nintendo library because they don't want to give us the big guns. Like, go all the way. Give us the ones with the funny puns. Give us the ones that were trying to be, like, the next Sonic but clearly would never go be that. Like, you know, that sort of, like, tood thing. Like, just all that. And it sounds like Jelly Boy checks that box, even if it's not good. Yeah, Claymates, 
at least is a little more unique, but it just has the opposite problem. Like, the levels are kind of, I don't want to say claustrophobic, but they just have way too many, um, I guess, traversal options that don't make sense. But, like, the biggest problem with it is just that its controls feel way too floaty. So that one just feels like you're, like, jumping in zero gravity. And almost immediately, um, we found, like, a, yeah, I guess an issue where there is a, there's a mouth you could turn into because, you know, you're made of clay. You collect um, balls of clay around the stage and you get to turn into either, like, a cat, a bird, a mouse, or a fish. And, you know, the so poor man Shantae. We have poor man's warrior land and poor man Shantae. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and when you turn to the mouse, like you get like this. I, I guess you roar, you whatever, you squeak. I guess it's like a sonic squeak that um, defeats enemies. But if you move while you're squeaking, which you know makes your mouse stationary, um, you can go so freaking fast that the level like barely has like. And I think it can barely keep up. It just looks like a crazy blur. It's like you, you're like literally faster than I've ever seen Sonic move in any game. And, you know, and, and that's just the mouse is standing still. You can also just run normally without doing that. And you see the mouse is full speed and it's actually not that fast. But what kind of makes this game, I guess it's more interesting than just like a not that great platformer. Is that the overworld is kind of like a puzzle. It's like, it's not like Mario where it's just a, you know, walk to level B or walk to the next level. It's literally like, a, okay, you completed the level, now solve a puzzle like by moving around that area to get to the next area. And I don't know, it makes it definitely a little more interesting than simply, you know, like I said, just picking the next level. You have to figure out how to get to the next level. Hmm. But historical yeah. footnote there I also didn't know that clay fighters like the you know clay fighters 63 and one half or whatever on n64 and stuff I didn't know it was like street fighter where it was a different genre originally with claymates and then they turned it into a fighter with the sequel I had no idea like the clay interplays like clay universe existed outside of those two fighting games so that that honestly was the most interesting thing about this whole announcement this time and but yeah yeah you can say that for sure but, um, yeah, the only other one I played was just a game called Bamboozle, which isn't a, isn't a bad game. At least I don't know because we, it took us way too long to figure out how this game even worked. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, it just kind of does a bad job of explaining its goal and its controls and everything that I, I don't even think we ever really fully got it down. Um, all we know is that it's in an isometric view, like 3D isometric, which is always kind of annoying in these kind of games because, you know, down is left, up is like up and to mm-hmm. the right, like that kind of thing. And it's a game where if you go in the wrong direction, you die instantly because you're on these like, you're on this grid and you have to, I think it's make a bomb explode and then you get to move on to the next part it's not exactly clear it's kind of weird um but yeah like that one we had the least amount of fun with just because it didn't really make sense but um yes i don't really have a lot to say about it except like the character just looks kind of goofy but yeah 
Bamboozle. I would I would stay away from that one. Just play a Magical Drop. Um, two. And baseball Simulator. Two. Magical Drop 2. Man, Magical Drop 2. And Baseball Simulator 1000 was... It's a baseball game. Um, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that great either. <laughs> it was also kind of like... The menu could be a little clearer. And the controls were... Also kind of weird. It's like you have to hold the button to swing. But if you like let go at any point during your swing, you do like a half swing. It it makes sense. It just doesn't feel super intuitive. But yeah, that's uh that's those games. And, that's uh, what's new with Switch Online. You know, we have so many great great uh, poll quotes that Nintendo could put on the game pages for these over on their website. You know, like um, Poor Man's Wario Land. Avoid it's a baseball word. game. Play Magical Drop Two instead. Like great 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 poll quote quotes. I do think honestly that we're in such a weird. Like, Nintendo's going down such a weird road with these Switch Online updates of just bizarre stuff. Like, the stuff that's left over when you went to go rent a game at Blockbuster in the 90s, which I think is probably an analogy I made before. But um, I kind of am almost, like, thinking it'd be kind of fun if we just always check them out and just make it a recurring segment every time they do an update. It's just, like, you know, they are these weird little pieces of game history. Like, you know, we're like I was saying, Jelly Boy's, like, a very 90s game based on the 90s gaming trends of making a mascot platformer. Claymates spun off a whole series that did much better. Like, it, yeah, I, I, it might be kind of fun. I mean, we're not going to get the big guy. Like, Japan got Shin Megami Tensei in their update this month, or some Super Nintendo version. Uh, we're not going to get that, so we might as well dive into the weirdness of it, you know? Put the random and random Nintendo. I again, wonder if well. it's just all that uh, Nintendo of America can, can get. Oh, for sure. I think what's happening is every company is realizing, unlike with Virtual Console where no one really figured out how to do retro game sales, every company is realizing they can just do it themselves. They can just list individual games on the eShop as is or with kind of like remakes, you know, like the Sega 3D games they did on 3DS where it's like um, Outrun and stuff, but they gave them depth. Like they could do that. They could just list them as is. They could do compilations. Like they have all these different ways they can cut Nintendo out and make money because at least with Virtual Console, they still got money per game. This, it's a blanket. It's you know Nintendo probably pays a flat rate, so if anything, it might just be a one-time license fee. So yeah, I don't think anyone's interested in actually giving real games. And these guys are like, well, we're never going to sell Claymates or Jelly Boy to anyone. But you know, if Nintendo wants to give us a hypothetical fifty k for it, sure, why not? That's fifty k we didn't expect to have otherwise. That's probably how we got here. In all honesty, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, if Nintendo, like, put in a little more hustle to make this more of a service like Game Pass, I think. You know, if they were willing to accept the fact that they need to compete with games being sold themselves, we could have a really cool lineup. But I think Nintendo's more interested, I've noticed, when they promote these now and saying, over 100 games. Like, when they announced Claymates, Jelly Boy, and um, Bamboozle, they didn't even they didn't even announce them on Twitter. They knew the backlash was too strong. So they put out a video on YouTube, and that was it. And then when they launched them on the 28th the other day, they did tweet it, but they tweeted as the library has been updated to include over 100 games, including, and then they just kind of casually tucked them at the end. Like it wasn't like new games available. They didn't, they buried the lead the best they could. Like they know. So now it's just a numbers game. It's just a sell. It's just a bullet point on the back of a Switch Online card when you go buy one at Best Buy or whatever. We will never get the numbers, but I, I wonder if most, if not like, 80 to 90% of these games are started, played for an hour, and never touched again. I bet you're right. I think even an hour is generous. Yeah. I think some of these are like 15 minutes. I mean, Angel, let's say uh, Joey Boy. How long did you spend with it when you and your, when uh, you and your friend played? Maybe 15 minutes. 
yeah. 20 tops. And that's with two of you kind of riffing off it together when playing online. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine it being higher than that. It's probably lower than that even. We got more enjoyment talking about what wasn't working than what was. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely – it. I think the sooner people come to accept that Switch Online is not going to be a virtual console in the way that it initially – seem to be marketed as um the sooner these games become fun little oddities to try for 15 minutes like you know like a weird roadside attraction and less of a uh main purpose of you know why you're turning on your switch and then under that logic it's they're not bad you know you just have to kind of gauge the expectations and you could argue the expectations shouldn't have to be gauged and Nintendo should put the effort in but like clearly they're not so if you gauge the expectations like now i'm just excited to see air the acrobat because i played it twice as a kid and like it's kind of a it's, I don't even know if it's good or not it might be a bad platformer I don't remember I just thought it was kind of cool as a kid it was like what Sonic was to speed Arrow was to like kind of double jumping <laughs> so who knows if it's good but like just having that little like 10 minute nostalgia hit might be kind of fun so you know I'm not waiting for Earthbound I'm waiting for that at this point I've you know reassessed my life and my expectations of Switch Online so yeah um, oh Jason yeah but while we're on the train of Angel segments, because Angel, you're just killing it this episode, uh, you had a fun idea for a segment um, of not what we've been playing, but almost to the point of what Switch Online is now filling in, games we never got to play. But in this case, games we maybe regret. Like, do you want to explain kind of your, your thought here of what, what we're going to be talking about? Not really. <laughs> oh, okay. I think, you, cool. I, I think you did a good job of saying it. Oh, in, okay. In, in, in any way that I could have. <laughs> All um, right. So, yeah, basically... Yeah, it, it's games we missed out on that. that we now regret. Yeah, so I know you it was your idea to come up with, to talk about this. So, what is on your list? Like, let's just we'll just ping pong around. What, what's I your mean, first one? I mean, yeah, like my biggest one, like the one that I've always wanted to play but never get the chance to for one reason or another is Donkey Konga. Mm. And by now, like I've seen full playthroughs of it, so I know exactly what I would be getting into. But I just can never find the time or just ever get to play it, and it makes me sad. But maybe one day. I have it, in. Angel. I have it. If you want it to for a bit. Um, yeah, and where has that got in me? I mean, no, I you mean, never I, asked I, I, for the drums. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I appreciate that, but yeah. I meant more like, like for instance, like not on quite the same vein, but like I've always wanted to beat, um, Beautiful Joe, because right. I started it when I ran it a long time ago. Like I think around the time it first came out. But ever since then, I just never really played it. Like, I just never got around to it. So I really want to, you know, just finally put that to end and just beat it. But there was, like, that long gap where you were offering, like, oh, like, I have it. I could let you borrow it. But, yeah, like, we just never got around to it. And even when, and, and eventually I got it. Like, I found it at GameStop for, like, five bucks or less or I don't know how much. And I just still haven't played it. Like, it's just sitting there. Same thing with Resident Evil 4. Like, I really want to play Resident Evil 4. I've never started it either. But I own it. Just never got around to it. Just something happens, one reason or another. It's just one of those things. I think I think also there's also, you know, the, the timing of the release and the context. Like, something like Donkey Konga. Like, I think I said this when we did our anniversary retrospective on Donkey Kong, but I always associate Donkey Konga with um, the game I first ever – or the thing I first ever heard Rock Lobster in. Um, so no matter when it's brought up, I just immediately think of Rock Lobster, which is an odd place for my mind to go. But uh, the thing with Donkey Konga is like some games age better than others, right? And I feel like Donkey Konga actually could kind of hold up. Like it, it – partly because I think it was ahead of its time when it actually came out. It was ahead of the plastic instrument curve. Like yeah, there's DDR mats and everything, but like – 
Donkey Kong came out the year before the original Guitar Hero. I think it was like 2004 and 2005, respectively. And, you know, that drum, even in the standards that Guitar Hero and Rock Band set, it is a surprisingly solid piece of plastic. Like, it does feel like a drum. Like, there are obviously two big buttons that you're drumming on, but they put, like, this soft cloth plastic on top that would actually move like you are hitting a real drum. Like, it felt like a drum head or drum skin or whatever that's called. And you also had, like, this mic on the side so you could, like, clap or hit the side of the drum and it would do, like, a third input. And what was kind of nice is because it was flexible, you know, because it was kind of like the stretchy drum head and you could clap or hit, you could actually kind of control how hard you were hitting. Like, it, you were able to – it didn't necessarily affect the game, but if you wanted to, like, really get into it and annoy – or in my case, annoy my parents when I was, like, 14 or 15 or whatever, like, I could. Or if I wanted to play a little softer, I could. And, and gameplay-wise, like, the exact game still is – we just got one on 3DS and on, on Switch. Um, it's Taiko Drum Master. It's just Donkey Kong skin. So, you know, it's horizontal note chain, left drum, right drum, both drums, clap, different difficulty levels, different notes, you know, the, that whole thing. So I think in the case – I understand your beautiful drill point. I understand, you know, kind of the time passed. But I think in the case of Donkey Kong, like, the only downside it had was really it had not very many songs. It was like – 30 songs, some hits, some classic Mario and Zelda. Um, I think, like, DDR typically had close to 100. I know Guitar Hero had, like, almost 50 when it came out. Um, so, yeah, really the downside is just the song selection. Like, even if you've seen the whole end game, like, you're, it's not a game that has, like, a story, per se. It does, but not really. Like, you can still go and do the no You know, I just realized that I didn't mean Donkey Kong. I meant Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Oh, <laughs> that one is, oh, nice. I will say, that one is the better of the two. Honestly, so and I've I actually forgot Donkey Konga existed. That's really fun. I was so surprised that you're so into Donkey Kong. I'm like, oh, I guess because it's a rhythm game, but it is. And I was like, well, it I is mean, fun. Now like, that I, I remember that, that it. it's a thing, and now I still feel like, yeah, that's also another game I wish I played because you know it's Donkey Kong and it's a rhythm game. But I it love is that you got completely less, the wrong game. <laughs> but it is like not so much rhythm heaven and more Guitar Hero. So yeah, yeah. So I'm not, so yeah, not as but, hyped to play that compared to Jungle Beat. Which Jungle is Beat the actual is, one. Jungle Beat is the one that a lot of folks missed out on because of when it came out. I mean, like, Donkey Kong had enough to do a sequel. Which, for some reason, Nintendo did this weird, like, oh, it's so cool. Like, they put, like, the like the two and the box art was all, like, graffitied and, like, like it looked, like, spray-painted. I'm like, what cool factor are you trying to go for here? You're a gorilla playing bongo drums. Like, just was that rain it in Nintendo. Nintendo but, days? Yeah, that was, like, 2005. That was like the who are you era of their marketing. But it's just like, what are you doing? Like, who, literally, who's like, oh, man, I wasn't going to get the game with the gorilla playing bongos. But you put the two, like it's dripping wet graffiti paint, like spray paint. Like, I'm in. Like, that's not a thing. And the music didn't mirror that image. Like, it was all, you know, rock lobster. But, yeah, Jungle Beat. Jungle Beat's one I think a lot of people probably regret, to your point, Angel. Um, it was on Wii, if I remember correctly. But... I don't know. It's I'm, I'm just telling, saying, as someone that's waggled a bunch with the Wii and someone who has the bongos, there was definitely a visceral, unique thing about playing Jungle Beat that way as it was originally intended. You know, like the boss encounters where you just need a drum roll to land punches was just super satisfying. And yeah, I don't think... I think to your, to your point about like, yeah, you got Beautiful Joe years later, but it was kind of one and done at that point. That That is sort of the thing is like... That's kind of thing with these experiences, I guess. Not to go on a rant here, but like it's not... I don't think you can just, in every case, revisit a game at a later time and be like, oh, yep, that's the game. It's kind of the experience of the game at that time, in that environment, in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it, it's often 
the surrounding context that also shapes the experience. Like one game yeah. that immediately springs to mind of that is uh, Piano 3 on the GameCube, which, well, there's a lot going on with that game. And I guess this is one of my picks of one I regret not playing. Because um, first of all, like to your point, Kevin, about what was like Nintendo edgy cool, like Piano 3 was like very 2003 cool. It was this sort of like stark white futuristic world. You had this female protagonist who would do all these acrobatic moves and fire energy balls from her hands and had this kind of techno soundtrack. And it was basically like a slick gunless take on Devil May Cry, like third person action game. Um, I mean, even the logo was so early 2000s cool. Like, it did that thing with the three hexagons that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, in the early 2000s, everything had those three hexagons as, like, kind of half a honeycomb, um, which, full disclosure, random Nintendo's logo when we were daily news site at that point also had the three uh, hexagons. I don't, I couldn't tell you why. I could do revisionist history and say maybe it represented the three pillars of Nintendo, GameCube, Game Boy, DS, three hexagons, but this was two years ahead of the DS, so I really have no idea why, but Capcom stole it from us is all I'm saying. But anyway, no, my um, my point is I bet if I were to play Piano 3 now, it'd probably be really clunky. And in 2003 or whatever, I think even if it was still clunky, it was very of the moment and signified a lot as a Nintendo fan, because this was the first of the so-called Capcom 5, this big commitment and partnership between Capcom and Nintendo that would uh, like signal the return of major third-party exclusives to GameCube, and not just major ones, but like ones that are more mature for like a savvier gamer audience at the time, when you know Nintendo was being called Kitty, and it for some reason mattered if a game was cool or Kitty or mature or not, not just fun. Like This was of that time. So I have to imagine in that moment, playing Piano 3 would have hit a lot different if I were to find a bargain bin copy of it in 2021, like kind of how you do with Beautiful Joe, Angel. Like, I think it's it's not saying it's not worth playing now. It's only, you know, was worth playing then for the surrounding circumstance, but it's hard to necessarily extract the game out of the circumstance because that experience combined is something I feel like I just missed, you know? So I'm looking at its Wikipedia page and something very interesting that, I, that, yeah, that I'm looking at is, yeah. do you know who directed it? Uh, Mikami, right? Yep. That's so. Yeah, it that's, was that's uh, a very strange entry in his uh, in his resume. Yeah, no, it was so that like the Capcom Five was a huge thing at the time, and it was going to be these five games from like Capcom's top people. I don't know if he was recognized as being a top person at that point, but he was you know on that path. Um, and it was like they were putting all their effort into this, and then only four of them got released. Uh, it was Resident Evil Four, Piano Three, Beautiful Joe, and Killer Seven. You know, so Suda Fifty One was part of this initiative. Um, the fifth game, Dead Phoenix, got canceled, and then of the four that got released, Piano Three was the only one that remained exclusive to Nintendo. The others went everywhere else, and it, it's just you know it's such an interesting like little moment. In the same way that I feel like for a lot of Nintendo fans, from Super Nintendo to the N sixty four jump, when Square Enix was like, "Nope, we're going to PlayStation," like that was a moment in playing. You know, and then having the chance to play a Final Fantasy game back on the Nintendo system with tactics on Game Boy Advance or with Crystal Chronicles, like. For fans that followed along with, like, Nintendo, you could play Crystal Chronicles Remastered on Switch with its weird online and everything and be like, okay, this is fun. But, like, having the first 3D Final Fantasy on your GameCube right there when Nintendo was pushing connectivity and all that, like, that was a moment that you can't recapture. Like, either it was there or you missed it. And this kind of felt like that on some scale. But, yes, it is interesting that was him that led the charge. You know, oddly, I'm going to make one more point and then I, I'm questioning if I even want to say this because it's a take. It is a take. I admit it's a take, but I'm, g- I'm going to say it. Um, I feel like this whole thing I'm making, this whole point I'm making about moments, I think that's why I'm not buying Skyward Sword for Switch. 
Like, it's not quite the same. It's the surrounding moment that makes it. But I'm trying to figure out, like, I bought every Zelda remake, and I didn't buy Skyward Sword HD. And <gasps> I think... I think it's the idea of the game kind of being a product of its time. Like, I'm not sure if I... I'm not sure if I want to open this can of worms I'm about to open, but I think I just did. So I think I need to now... It's too late to turn back. I think I need to explain myself. So uh, I guess here we go. But basically... I think what's holding me back with Skyward Sword HD and why, like, and how it kind of ties into games you missed in the moment you missed them is, like, the remnants of the motion controls just make Skyward Sword still still even feel kind of dated in a way. Like, dated in a way that other remakes aren't. Because the, the thing with Skyward Sword is, and you can tell I'm, like, trying to figure out how weird this is I'm talking, but the thing with Skyward Sword is it was made as kind of a showcase, right, for Nintendo's, like, entire ethos at that time. Like, motion control, recreating realism, the Wii, uh, the, the Wii Motion Plus, the Wii itself. And with that, at that time, a lot of folks felt that hurt the game. You know, the motion controls needed to be precise. You couldn't just sit on the couch and play. Like, conceptually, it was really cool to roll a bomb or fly that beetle drone and have it, you know, be how you made the motion or you do the sword swipe and, like, Link mirrored it one-to-one, the exact angle... But in practice, like, kind of looking back, I think it, for me anyway, kind of bogged down the whole experience. Like, you couldn't just sit and play. You needed to commit to these elaborate motions, these huge sweeping arm motions that made what was once, like, a single button press this kind of just slower process. So everything that was quick in Zelda now was slow. And I think initially with Skyward Sword HD, the idea that, hey, that, you know, they mapped those things to buttons, okay, that's cool, that's kind of a cool workaround, but then from what I was reading as the game was getting closer to launch and the reviews and everything, I don't know, it just, I, and again, I haven't played it yet, but it just sounds more clunky than anything else. Like, you need to move the control stick to the exact angle when slashing or solving a puzzle or whatever. You need to hold the shoulder button just to be able to use the right stick to move the camera like it's some sort of old N64 game or something because otherwise it's mapped to motion. Like, there is, of course, an argument to be made that I should try it myself before making assumptions about this, but... I don't know, I just don't have the motivation to double dip because of this concern. And I think it goes to show to the broader conversation that like some games just hold up better in the context of their time, which kind of sucks in Skyward Sword's case because I remember from what I played then and have heard that it has some really great dungeons and the characters are perhaps some of the most fleshed out in the series. I mean, everyone loves... loves, um, of uh what's his name Groose but I don't know there's there's also part of that mission that wishes they maybe did like a Resident Evil style remake of Skyward Sword that takes its scenarios its dungeons its characters and just puts them in more modern gameplay like I know that would never happen like but that in a way seems to be the best way to check out a game you never experienced the first time around if they're you know through the lens of more modern expectations I guess like but then doing that now that I think about it they basically be making Breath of the Wild 2 since from what we've seen of that you know, it's basically Breath of the Wild merged with Skyward Sword. Like, they took the verticality idea from Breath of the Wild 1 and extended it even more vertical. Like, it's not just see that mountain over there, you can go to it. It's like, do you see the sky up there? You can go to that too. So, I don't know. It's... It, I, I shouldn't expect them to make a full remake. I mean, this is the company that everyone wanted to switch Pro and they gave us a Switch OLED. But, um, you know, they do kind of the bare minimum for re-releases and they know it works and it works well and they have a business model around, around that. And if you want like a Switch Pro, sorry, you're getting the Steam Deck. That's your equivalent. But which, by the way, when we joked last year on Nintendo about how we're recording early and we're going to miss bombshell news, I didn't think a Switch-like device from Valve was going to be the thing we missed. But lo and behold. But yeah, I don't know. It's just um, 
I'm not sure where I'm going with this, except I think Skyward Sword's product was time, and I think it to the point of games we missed, like, it, it, uh, you know, it's not just the gameplay itself that is, that is part of that missing out. But Kevin, what games have you missed that you maybe want to play? <laughs> not to go too far down this rabbit hole. Uh, well, I didn't know that we were going to do the segment, but the first one that immediately came to mind was... You were on the text. Was I in the text? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. It was in, it Did was I the read day. the text, yeah. though? Well, I, that's, that's, I don't have re, the, yeah. we, this is why Apple, I didn't know because <laughs> this is why Apple needs to do re-receipts for group texts. Just saying. Um, the first one that know. came to mind was Okami Den, the, apparently not a sequel the to, DS one? yeah, exactly, which apparently wasn't a sequel, they called it just a spiritual successor, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I really liked the first the first Okami. I, I never finished it. I've tried multiple times. Um, I recently bought it on PC just to see if I can get back into it. Uh, and played a little bit of it when it was out on the uh, on the Wii with that Wii port. But even then, the mm-hmm. you know the drawing didn't necessarily... It was a little clunky. And then it was especially clunky on... Uh, whoops, I muted myself for a second. So, yeah, I was about um, to say some. I don't know the audience might have heard that, but what were you saying? <laughs> yeah, um, no, it, it seemed like a perfect fit on the DS, and I think by the time that it was released on the DS, I had just altogether dropped playing on the DS. I I, I don't know why I dropped it. I think my oh, I think my DS got stolen was the thing, mm. and so it's out of your control. Yeah, and so at that point, I was like, I'm not about to drop another. Hundred two hundred dollars on this thing, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of titles on the on the DS that I missed because it got stolen. Um, everything after Diamond and Pearl, that that's the entire reason why I stopped playing Pokemon altogether was because my DS got stolen after Diamond and Pearl, and that's pretty early into its life cycle. Like I remember, yeah, that's really like a couple years in. Yeah, the DS that I had was the red one that came with Mario Kart DS. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of games that I miss on the DS. I probably would have played Rhythm Heaven for sure. Um, yeah, but Okami then just I, I wish I wish that there was another Okami game. Like it's it's art style, especially now with modern technology, would probably look amazing in 4K. Yeah, yeah. As far as Okami Monster Hunter, oh she, my bad. Yeah, as far as um. Okami then goes, it's the only, like, Okami got ported to everything. Like, but Okami then has always stayed on the DS. And so, I doubt we'll ever see it ported in somewhere or another. I guess emulation would probably be the only way that you can get it done. But we don't condone mm-hmm. emulation on the Ren Nintendo podcast here. No one's ever, <laughs> ever on this podcast has emulated multiple Nintendo consoles. Never. Um, no, it's not like uh, I sat next to someone in class once playing Banjo Kazooie on their laptop, which would be impossible. Yeah, without illegal exactly. Acts, but we're not pirates, exactly, and we're not saying that one of us is going to get a, uh, a Steam Deck and just emulate the crap out of Nintendo consoles. I would never say, <laughs> I'd never say that. What do you honestly, though, to to pause for a second? What do you think of the Steam Deck as someone who is like such a Steam heavy, PC heavy guy? Like, is the Steam Deck... Because it, it's, you know, it's kind of their play at Switch, but it's also very different in terms of the demo it's going for, I feel like. The audience is different. Like, what, how do you feel about it? Um, well, I pre-ordered one, and I almost tore my hair. I almost ripped my hair out of my, my scalp when 
it was impossible to get one. So, I mean, there's your answer. But fair uh, enough. Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting though, right? Like it's it's basically, it's basically like this. I, I mean, it, it has to be more niche than the Switch, right? Like it's this upgradable, customizable. Well, it's not necessarily a PC you take somewhere. I thought they said you can um, get different. You can, if you want to, unscrew it and put in different stuff like memory and whatnot. Uh, no, I believe the only thing that you can really upgrade is the storage capacity. And even Valve is saying, like, uh, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. I see. Also, it is a little more going after Nintendo directly or going after the Switch audience directly. Mm, I don't know if it's going way. directly for the Switch audience. Like, in terms, I don't expect this to run games. I mean, sure, it's going to run some games better than the Switch. Like, I'm sure Apex wouldn't look as bad. Well, I, you can't even play Apex on the on the Steam Deck because of for reasons. But if it were on the Steam Deck, right. I'm sure it'd run better and look better than it does on Switch. But I mean, the the big up that it has against my Switch is I already have this huge 200 plus game library on Steam. So, yeah, I'm probably, and I have played maybe about 10% of those games, and now you're telling me that I can play a bunch of these indies on the go, or at least in bed? Yeah, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, because, like, for so long, even, like, how The Witcher was, like, oh, it's, it's the cross-save is with Steam and Switch, and that's it. Like, there's kind of this, like, harmony between, like, Steam and Switch, where, you know, games would play nice with one another, or if it's on Steam, it's, like, if it's on Switch, it's likely on Steam. So it will be interesting for that subsection of the of the crowd, so to speak, like of gamers, where they're going to gravitate towards at that point. Because um, there is – the Switch has probably gone beyond that audience now. And it, we're in – the industry is at a point where no one's going to lose. Like there's no console war in the way there was. It's not like if the Steam Deck comes out, suddenly the Switch is going to flounder or whatever. But it oh yeah, it is, is kind of interesting that this like – This is by this no is means the, a, a Switch killer. Uh, some people were yeah, no, touting it no, to me. It's I was too like, niche. You're, yeah. you're insane if you think that this is going to kill the yeah. Switch. But it's interesting, though, because a good chunk of, like, early Switch adopters were folks who are like, oh, I want to play, like, games on the go that I have in my Steam account, I have in my PS3 or uh, PS4 or Xbox One or whatever. This is kind of the alternate route for that. So, like, if they choose, okay, I want to upgrade, like, if for that subsection of an audience, they are choosing between what they thought would hopefully be a Switch Pro but was in the Switch OLED or Valve's literal version of a Switch Pro, essentially. It even can plug into a TV, if I'm not mistaken, right? So... It's kind of it's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes out, but Valve's hardware history is one that I don't expect this thing to like blow up, especially because they're shipping it out over like the course of like a year and a half. But it's interesting. It's it's definitely unexpected. Yeah. Also, yeah. talk about stealing Nintendo's thunder. They announced it an hour after Nintendo announced uh, Switch OLED pre-orders, which were then an hour after the uh, Steam Deck was announced. <laughs> So it's like quite the they really wedged it in at just the right moment. Well, I don't know. They stole its thunder probably. considering the sort of unhype there was for the yeah, for the OLED. True. So I will say I did pre-order it. The OLED, it's no, happening. We're, we're big surprise there. I know, shocker, shocker. But sorry, that was that was kind of tangent. You're talking about Okami and Okami Den. Okami Den, yeah. Uh, we're probably never going to get a port of it, and. I don't have a working DS. I think I have a 3DS lying around here somewhere, but yeah, that's just, that's never going to happen to me playing that game. Unless it gets ported, which, like I said, I highly doubt that it'll ever get ported. No reason for yeah, I think Capcom it's, to, to do it. 
I think it's very much also of its era, right? Like in the same way that I don't think we're ever going to see spirit tracks again from Nintendo. Like there was in the mid 2000s, stylus based touch control adventure games were kind of a thing because the DS made them kind of a thing. Are they going to hold up in a world where everyone has touch screens on their phone and they just use their finger? It's hard to say. Like they were of their time. And maybe the gameplay mechanics still work, but like, will it resonate? And that's probably why Okami's been released 12 times over and Okami is just buried, if I had to guess. Yep, yep, yep. Were there any um were there any other games of note for either of you? I feel like Angel, you you were tossing around Geist the other day when we were trying. Yeah, that's definitely another one because I know very little about it, which just makes me want to play it more. I just know it has to do with controlling a ghost of some sort. Yeah, it? yeah, it's like it was a first a person ghost sh- heist, if you will. Oh, also Geist is just German for ghost. So before you start thinking it's a cool com- combination of words, um. But, yeah, that game was... I never got to play it either, but it always was kind of an interesting idea because it was, uh, yeah, basically you are a ghost and instead of picking up weapons in a first-person shooter, you are uh, possessing things. So you can possess people that are holding guns, you can possess objects, you can possess, you know, doors and swing them open, like whatever you need to do. And it was kind of like in the same way that Metroid Prime was a first-person adventure, not a first-person shooter, as we were talking about last episode, like Geist was kind of that it just was a little more towards like action like it from my understanding it was a little faster paced but it's very much cut from a similar cloth like again of nintendo's like trying to be cool era in the gamecube like edgy gamecube days like eternal darkness geist like there are all these games that nintendo is like we're gonna publish a western game in a genre we don't normally touch and try and get this kind of more mature audience and they had hope in geist um, apparently there's this, I don't know if you guys remember like a year ago, there was that Nintendo, maybe it was less than a year ago, the Nintendo Giga Leak, where all these old documents from Nintendo surfaced and, um, I mean, really they didn't surface, they were straight up stolen, let's be honest, someone hacked into their server and took all the stuff, but in those documents, and we're not going to go into too much detail about every little thing, because again, it was stolen property, but in those documents was a list of canceled DS projects and Geist was going to get a DS sequel, which I have to imagine especially because it was supposed to have online play, it was going to be kind of like their second shot at like a Metroid Prime Hunters mobile, portable, uh, like arena shooter thing. Because Geist, while single player was an adventure, multiplayer, I mean, that just seems like kind of a cool take on a first-person shooter, right? Like you just go around the environment and you could possess whatever instead of just grabbing guns and you could like be a shoe you throw at someone to knock them out or it could be a soldier with a gun. And it, it seems like it'd be a cool idea, but it never caught on. The game did not sell well at all. Probably it, it was delayed a few times. It came out late in Nintendo's life, uh, the GameCube's life, I think. I think it's like 2005 or something. So like it was, yeah, it was sadly not meant to be. But it would have been cool. Um, on that list, also interestingly, was a new Metroid, or sorry, a new Pokemon pinball from the developers of Metroid Prime Pinball, which we also mentioned last episode. And that just reminds me, I never played Pokemon Pinball Ruby and Sapphire. And I don't know why. I loved the original. I thought the Rumble Pack was the coolest thing on the Game Boy. But when the Ruby and Sapphire sequel hit Game Boy Advance, I just ignored it. And I, yeah. That one doesn't seem like one that's stuck in time. That one can probably hold up. Like, the other game that developer did besides Metroid Prime Pinball was Mario Pinball Land. That one may not hold up because they kind of like this weird isometric thing. And it was very much like milking the GBA for its full graphic power versus like necessary being a good pinball game. Um, but like Pokemon Pinball, yeah. I wish I had a chance at that. That one I think anyway. I did get to briefly play, but yeah. Oh, you fun. did? Wait, you briefly played Geist or you briefly played Pinball? No, Pokemon Pinball, Pokemon Pinball. How did Ruby, from what you may recall, did Ruby and Sapphire, like, did the sequel hold up? Like, was it still as good as the original? Did you play the original? I've never played the original, I just played the oh, sequel. Well, well, then your opinion yeah. is worthless. No, I'm kidding. Um, wow. But, 
Just kidding. Um, yeah, it's fun. There's so many games. I know for sure coming in out of the Switch era, there's going to be a bunch more. But but yeah, um, were there any other games you guys want to mention? Or should we actually get to a little bit of news? Because there was a little bit of news. Uh, the only other game that I regret not playing, and even a more recent one, is Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne. Mm. Uh, I all, Wasn't I, that talked, on yeah, Switch? No, well, well, let me get to it, buddy. You Sorry. Hold your Sorry. horse there. No, um... I kept telling myself where I'm going to play this. I'm going to talk about it on Ram Nintendo and just never got around to it. I have so many live service games that I keep up with Genshin, Apex. Um, every now and then I'll throw in uh, Final Fantasy 14. And it's just, it, it's so weird how I went from this guy who plays nothing but RPGs to, and you know, devoting an hour to like three hours every day just you know checking away at at an rpg like kingdom hearts or final fantasy to somebody that Mm -hmm. just plays on hours these games that just have an infinite progression system in terms of like of new characters of battle passes and i can no longer be satisfied with an rpg that i could just sit down and play for a little bit Needs so, to be living, breathing, ever expanding. Not necessarily that it has to be, but it just—I guess—over time, it's just a game that I can't fully put myself into. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it, it's. And again, I think that kind of goes back to the same idea of like games being products of their time and relevant in their time. Because like, Nocturne's a remake. So if you played it when the original came out, probably would have resonated a lot differently. But the landscape has changed so much. Yeah. Exactly. Which um, is actually, you beautifully teed us up, uh, Kevin, for the news, because all the news from Nintendo of late, like if we talked just first party news, was exactly what you're talking about, which is just like, games aren't one and done. Like, games now, you know, games that are out have new updates. Maybe not live services, but like the big thing Nintendo announced was um, a game that seemed like a one-off, Pokemon Snap, new Pokemon Snap, has new content out of nowhere. It's arriving Tuesday, so likely by the time some folks are listening to this, and it's like, a good amount of content. We're talking to entirely new uh, areas called Mighty River and Barren Badlands, as well as a new side path that kind of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, your uh, Neo vehicle. So you're actually experiencing Pokemon from the first level from a very smaller, different perspective. So the little guys are big and the big guys are huge. And, and yeah, all three routes have day and night alternatives uh, and scattered throughout are 20 additional Pokemon. And in and of itself, it's like, okay, neat. Like, we don't, there's not much to say. Like, we could maybe after it's out if we have impressions but like what were we going to say but I think in the context of this like entire conversation we're having about these overlooked games and when you know what what keeps a game afloat or what keeps people's interest like it's just kind of interesting to see how Nintendo is going about updating their games because here we're talking about six new experiences out of 18 uh, like new levels or alternate takes on levels that's a 33% boost in content not even including the new Pokemon and it's free and I'm sure, like, Angel, this isn't, the, or even you, Kevin, like, this isn't going to turn the tide in you buying the game. Like, I imagine Angel would take you up chat talk. Kevin, I don't even know what it would take you to get. But, like, it's not, like, necessary for people who are totally zoned out of it. They're suddenly going to clue in, right? Like, you're not necessarily clamoring for Pokemon yeah. Snap with 33% more content. Exactly. Yeah, but what, what stood out to me with this news is that in the same week they did this, Nintendo also announced the next update for Animal Crossing New Horizons, which is, by comparison... And a comparison um, to not just the quantity of Snap content, but also past Animal Crossing content. 
by comparison, this update they just announced is literally nothing. Like the press release headline is, and I'm just going to read it directly, free update adds fireworks to August in Animal Crossing. That's it. Fireworks. I, I guess there, I, I take that back. There are five new items you can get from the shopping. But basically, the big update for late summer for Animal Crossing is a fireworks show. And I do realize it's a bit of an apples and orange comparison because Animal Crossing is over a year old and it's had updates that, you know, like Red and his paintings and swimming and holidays and a bunch of items. But even then, like, I don't think you can make the argument that what Animal Crossing added is equivalent to a game like Pokemon Snap getting a 33% very clearly quantifiable boost in content. So where I'm going to like to circle back the conversation over games um, a little, it just strikes me that unlike the games we talked about missing, you know, the ones in the past, it is in a way kind of harder, but also simultaneously easier to like miss out on modern releases. Like, you know, because live services exist, other games now need to kind of like keep updating themselves to compete. But if you have an interest in a game, it's a lot harder to make, like if you have any remote interest, so not Pokemon Snap in your guys' case, but let's say I didn't buy Pokemon Snap in my case, it's a lot harder to just outright miss it. I mean, yes, if you don't buy it, you're not going to participate in the DLC and you're none the wiser, but if you have an interest in a game, there are now multiple opportunities, ample ones, where you're making the conscious decision repeatedly to not engage. Like you can't just be like, oh, it slipped by. Like there's no, oops, I missed Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity because half a year later, guess what? There's DLC, and they're reminding you this game exists. It's not like it can just slip off your radar completely if you are paying any attention to the you know the broader like franchise, and you're choosing at that point to continue to leave it off your radar. And it's just it's very much you know kind of point we made before that DLC serves to extend you know basically as extended ad campaigns for games. But I think just seeing like the 30 million selling Animal Crossing utilize DLC in such a minimal way versus new Pokemon Snap going all in maybe just realize kind of how different the idea of selling a game in 2021 has to kind of be like how much harder it is to basically miss a release if it's on your radar whatsoever because like back in the day like it felt like there's just kind of one category of game right like insured you know there's one category of game that insured it would reach a maximum audience like the, the evergreen and those continue to do really well Maybe, you know, even crazier now in the Switch era than before. Like, similar, similar to what happened with the Steam Deck. Uh, the MPD numbers for June came out after we did our early recording of the last round of Nintendo. And, yeah, Switch's number one hardware units, Mario Golf Super Rush, strongest debut in the franchise's history. You know, Switch effect is in full effect. Same old points we talked about before. But the thing I wanted to highlight was when you look at Switch's dedicated top ten, it really emphasizes how massive those evergreens are just on their own. Like, they don't need DLC to buoy them. Like, if you're Mario Golf Super Rush, you get to fly number one on the chart because you're Mario and maybe hold on to that for a bit. But if you're Game Builder Garage, you're not cracking the top 10 in your launch month, even though you're a first party game. If you're Tony Hawk 1 plus 2, like, um, which did well enough with its belated Switch release that it rose like 34 spots and is back in the top 20 of in June, you still aren't in the top 10 of the Switch alone because like the evergreens are just this impenetrable wall of sales and those are the games that in the past nobody would miss, right? Like everyone from the N64 era has some connection to GoldenEye or Mario Kart 64, at least like 95% of people. But for like this like B tier of games, the DLC for these, you know, sort of lessers, it's almost like this kind of secondary way to make some of these games inch closer to the potential of hitting that ubiquitous status that would mean you don't miss out in the way that you know we were just talking about all those games like they they won't all get there 
obviously, but for every new, you know, Mario Tennis Aces Court or Arms Fighter or Luigi's Mansion multiplayer mode or Age of Calamity character that Nintendo keeps pumping out, there's just that many fewer people who 10 years from now might say, how did I miss this game? Because, like, they keep coming back up. Like, you are consciously missing the game. You're not just forgetting about it. And if you think I'm overthinking this, one, you are partially correct, but also, two, um, I have some evidence. And that evidence, to me is there is an Animal Crossing that is getting actual DLC right now, and it's the mobile one, Pocket Camp. They added underwater-themed items. You can customize your campsite to look like it's kind of like an under-the-sea motif. They also added a new AR camera mode uh, experience. I guess you say there was an AR camera mode, but now they're streamlining it so people can pre-select villager poses and place them differently. And again, these aren't moving mountains in their substance, but it's certainly more than what New Horizons received. And... But the fact that these DLCs from New Horizon and um, Pocket Camp came out two days apart or were announced two days apart certainly makes this comparison a little easier. But what what's significant to me about it is that Pocket Camp is not considered a runaway hit like New Horizons was. New Horizons is massive, 30 million copies out there. And the attitude towards Pocket Camp is that it just kind of exists. Like it generates money for Nintendo for sure, but I think it's... I, th- I think it might actually be one of their top mobile performers, but even then, like it's not the game that's everyone's like oh i can't believe i didn't play this oh i have to buy it like you know it, it new horizons is still in the top 20 of the overall mpd chart it's still in the top 10 of the switch yet and this is where my point lies pocket camp needs ongoing activities to keep attracting folks and horizons apparently does not and pocket camp is kind of the embodiment of the b tier of nintendo where they're trying to elevate the game to get that other audience and new horizons is the a tier and i just find it interesting that we used to only have the a tier and everything else was a one and done. But now there's this whole secondary tier. And it makes it that much harder for us to run into this conversation 10 years from now about what game did we miss? Because you, you just can't. You can consciously choose not to play it, but you can't just like not have it happen. You are multiple times being like, no, nah, I'm good. No, nah, I'm good. No, nah, I'm good. And that's just such a different world. It's just gaming in general is just such a different world now than it was even, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Anyway, that's my spiel. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just feel like, I don't know. Like I said, gaming landscape is just. It's so, it's such, like if you dropped what gaming is in 2021 with live service and everything on 10-year-old versions of ourselves, we would be completely overwhelmed, I feel like, right? Even with the idea that like a game like Dr. Mario World can just end and stop working. And like you you may have downloaded it, but can you imagine if you had like Dr. Mario on your Game Boy or N64 or GameCube or whatever, and it just one day stopped working? But that's what they're doing with Dr. Mario World now. It's just such a weird if you think about it, it's just such a weird, different world we're in now. Did you, did you guys play much Doctor Mario World? I know Angel, you at least played it at launch. That's literally it. Yeah, that's that's kind of the same. Uh, Kevin, did you ever get into it? <laughs> no. <laughs> that laugh. You know, I I do wonder, like to some extent, the fact that it's called Doctor Mario but actually isn't Doctor Mario. Like, I wonder how much that was its downfall. Because like when it first came out, if I remember correctly. I think on the show, both Angel, you and I were both kind of like, yeah, it's a fun match to puzzle game, but it's not Dr. Mario. Like, I mean, honestly, if anything, it was more like Virus Buster because, you know, Dr. Mario, you're you're matching pills that are two colors. And you have to line up three of the same color and then they disappear and they come down from the top like Tetris. But here, they're already there and you just have to clear them by moving them around. And like within, I guess, that construct, Nintendo did flesh out a fun little puzzle game. There's single player with like kind of Candy Crush style progression. There's multiplayer online battles, but it's not Dr. Mario. 
and it's using like all the tropes of every other puzzle game clearing the board uh, stamina capping your experience unless you pay money or wait more time um, but because everything is so familiar even the single player progression I wonder how many people tried it they're just like this is just like Candy Crush but not like I'm just gonna go back to Candy Crush because that's the iron stick presumably we're going for and then the diehard from the dev end like wait this isn't even Dr. Mario it's Virus Buster and they might not have been interested because they were expecting a Dr. Mario so I, I do wonder like how much that ended up hurting the game but I guess we'll never know except I guess we will know on some deg- to some degree that something happened because they're, sh- they're shutting it down in November but what's to blame we may not know um, yeah although it does feel like Dr. Mario World is also it kind of represents the other side of the coin in terms of like this discussion of how games can't be one or done anymore because I think the problem now I think you, you can be too try hard with this stuff you know like we I, I have to imagine there's some cynicism towards the sheer number of new doctors and characters introduced and how apparently these characters can direct, dramatically influence the game but like no I feel like they I feel like it would be it, yeah they just need to chill with that like I love Dr. Goomba Tower if you guys remember him three Goombas in a jacket but like I think there's a point where they're doing fan service with the characters but the fans just didn't care they're just too many so which I guess actually to bring this episode full circle I'm just rambling now but to bring this episode full circle that's a major advantage of Pokemon Unite if it has to go the free to play route which it does and it will and they're going to do the same characters at least they have 900 existing ones to choose from there's a whole Pokedex out there nothing needs to feel forced it's all natural and I suspect that's why Unite is going to end up working out really well anyway now I'm done ranting was there anything you guys want to talk about before I wrap the episode or thoughts on anything I just (laughs) said because there's a lot (laughs) you had good thoughts Um, those were good thoughts thanks thanks appreciate that Um, okay well so there you have it um as promised, we managed to have Pokemon unite the episodes at the beginning, at the end, in the middle, uh, every step of the way. But yeah, next episode we'll be covering probably no Pokemon, actually. I don't think there's any Pokemon news planned. But I do know we're going to have impressions of Great Ace Attorney. Uh, Andrew, I think you already bought it. I'm about to pick it up this weekend. Um, if all goes Yeah, but I've had a chance to play it, so if not next week, definitely the one after. Because, like, yeah, it's story driven. Based games like this, like, I-, I could literally tell you right now. Already, like, yeah, it's going to be the Ace Attorney formula with a like a new gimmick or two, and even just from looking at the trailer, I could already tell you that if you like, I guess visual novel games, I would easily recommend it already. Like, I don't even have to play it, <laughs> right? But it's just how the it's story. Just, yeah, it's just going to come down more like, it, I don't know, is it going to hook me early or not? I don't know. We'll see. I have a good so thing the about answer... the story. It's just cool seeing, I guess, getting ready to play a game that doesn't have phoenix or apollo in it whatsoever i mean there's a descendant of them i mean i guess phoenix is a descendant of these characters and apparently others appear there as well but yeah this will be interesting it is yeah it is the first full almost fully clean break in the franchise right um so that will be kind of interesting yeah, and yeah, a so the cream break because even Apollo Justice was still basically a Phoenix Wright story. Yeah, because he was in it just as a secondary character. Yeah, yeah. So this it will be interesting. Yeah, and it um it did get good reviews. So it's more just like how does the story resonate? How does the new gameplay mechanics for the in- interrogations resonate? So yeah, we'll we'll have all that. If not next episode, the one after. But to see if it's next episode, you can check back on August fifteenth. That's when the episode's going live. I don't know what else we're talking about, Kevin. I don't know if you have any games you've been playing or want to. You know, by then have been played, but I, I, I guess we'll find out. Talk about. Oh, okay. Intriguing. 
So we may have great Ace Attorney. We may have something from Kevin. We may have some news. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing and following to us on all the platforms. Uh, we're on Twitter at Round Nintendo. We are on every platform, uh, podcast app under the sun, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, our YouTube at RoundTendo.com. We're also on iHeartRadio and a few others. Um, and you probably want to subscribe to us to make sure not just that you won't miss that episode in two weeks, but also the next random non-Tendo which will be in the weekend in between, so I guess like August 8th or so, um, with whatever non-Nintendo things we have to talk about. So there's a lot of mysterious intrigue of what we'll be talking about, but we'll Hopefully see. Hopefully I we'll can see. finally talk about Chainsaw Man. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're going to talk about Chainsaw Man. Yeah, so we at least have that. Um, yeah, individually, if you want to hear thoughts on anything from us as, as they come to us, we're on Twitter. I'm uh, JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. I feel like our Twitters are becoming sort of foreshadowing for episodes. Like, I know the points I make on my Twitter end up on the show. And I know, Kevin, you've talked about Chainsaw Man on your Twitter. It's going to end up on the show. But, um, yeah. So you can follow us if you want to get a hint of what's to come. Um, Angel, you're pretty good about playing the card. Yeah, I literally tweeted chest. not so long ago that I'm looking forward to playing Ace Attorney. Oh, well, there just, we go. So you're, you're foreshadowing. Like, I literally for just, a while like, was able to op- I just opened my copy, like, not so long ago. Yeah, I need to actually probably pick it up after we're done recording today. But, um from Best Buy not a sponsor but they should be Best Buy anyway yeah so that does it for this episode um, Kevin take us Why out why did you say it like that it, I don't know <laughs> it, it couldn't sound any more like it was being sponsored I, well that Best was Buy. that was the joke but okay for all your that's I don't know I, I, I guess it came out too straight for me that I ended uh, up liking that so. it's too deadpan well listen yeah. maybe I'm gunning for some Best Buy money or at least reward certificates if they're well, not giving I mean, me actual we're due for a um Raid Shadow Legends sponsorship anytime soon. <laughs> right. Was Raid Shadow Legends there, uh, Blue Apron. Also Blue Apron. So. Oh, we talked about Blue Apron one episode. Steps. Seriously. Yeah. That's a huge audience for them. But also Blue Apron. If you want to cook, but you don't have to measure what you're cooking, Blue Apron. And Kevin? Use code random. <laughs> use code random. Yeah, use code Arnin uh, to get... You know, someone's going to try that and it's going to spit back error in the code and they're going to be like, why is the code not working and yell at us and we're going to be like, oh, it was parody, bud. But, yeah. Yep. Kevin, yeah. final word? <laughs> Put Dr. Waluigi in Smash. <laughs>